Well, after nearly five years of relationship with, with Steve, your leaders, this congregation, you ought to know by now, I love the Lord, his Messiah, and it's precisely because of the inch-deep, mile-wide problem that Steve mentioned last week that I brought a sermon that was a mile deep and an inch wide. <laughs> and apparently, many drowned. Can you, can you make that slide appear on the, on the right up there? The whole slide? So, when a person with my calling, you can follow, sees all that has been lost in understanding what God is actually doing in history with Jews and Gentiles, the lack of understanding of the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, and the lack of hearing the whole counsel of God in continuity from Genesis to Revelation, they feel the need to deliver a whole course in a sermon. <laughs> Which is what happened last week. That was actually 2.5 to 3 hours of material in a mini course at MSI done in 45.2 minutes. <laughs> and so, I hope that helps us to see why MSI is a worthy investment. Because I was called down from a Fortune 500 career to go give my life to do this. So that the inch deep mile wide problem would not continue. But that we would solve that problem, especially here in the United States. So I hope that this sense of being overwhelmed leads us to deeper studies that do greater justice to God, Messiah, life in the Spirit, and the whole counsel of God. And with that said, I promise to take an easier, though still somewhat drowning, approach today. <laughs> so we'll start with the reading of the text, and you could, you could read the text with me, but I'm going to read over it with some interpretation. So, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is, my fellow Israelites, is for their salvation. And in this sermon, we're going to talk about what is salvation in the Bible and where specifically is Paul working from in Romans 10. We're going to be shocked. For I bear witness, I bear them witness, that they have a zeal for God. And it's great to have a zeal for God. But it's not according to knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge of the new covenant, the good news of Yeshua Messiah. And seeking to establish their own because they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. Remember, righteousness is doing what's right in covenant relations. And they're now ignorant of the righteousness of God. The current right thing God has done in covenant relationship with his people. And then it says seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness. That doesn't mean the Jews were self-righteous. It means they sought to establish their own right doing in covenant relationship with God that excluded the Gentiles. We got left out. So they did not submit to what God was doing at this moment that was right 
in covenant relations. We get to 10.4. It really reads, for Messiah is the goal of the law. For what? For righteousness. To everyone who trusts. And therein is the problem. They had a righteousness restricted to themselves. Most of us here are Gentiles. We weren't included in this. So it's a misappropriation of the law for their own selves that left us out. And that is both initial righteousness, that trust that we put in the Messiah, and what results from it, living out that life. And then in verses 6 through 7, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith, we're going to define that, says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down. So notice Paul's emphasis is on Messiah coming from the heavens to earth, that's his incarnation. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah up from the dead. So now he's focusing on Yeshua's or Jesus' resurrection. So it's from his coming down all the way, his living, right, his dying, obedience unto death, all the way to his resurrection. And that's all part of the good news. Listen, this context that Paul is using is from Deuteronomy 30. And that passage is all about Israel's restoration from captivity. Sorry, you can tell my age, I'm still technologically deprived. The Deuteronomy 30 passage is all about Israel's restoration from captivity, circumcision of the heart. That was always in Deuteronomy long before that was said in the New Covenant Scriptures. Obedience of his word, like was eloquently stated about uh, Ephesus this morning, not too difficult. It wasn't too difficult because his word is not too far. And then in that Deuteronomy passage, it says, it's not in heaven that you have to go get it, and it's not across the ocean that you have to go get it. Paul changes the ocean to the abyss. And instead of talking about God's word is not so far or too hard for you to see and appropriate and live out, it's right in your mouth. It's easy. And they miss this. But now Paul takes that passage and he makes it all about Messiah and his coming and his resurrection and says, that's not far from you. It's right on your lips. It's right in your mouth. You can easily hear the good news, obey it, and respond because he is the word of God in the flesh. And then you go to 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That's the word of faith or trust that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, wait till you find out what he means by saved. He's working from a very specific passage. For with the heart, the internal of one's being, one trusts, resulting in righteousness. That is right in covenant relationship with God. Trust is already counted as doing what's right in covenant relationship with God. And with the mouth, one confesses, resulting in salvation. Wait to see where he's working from. 11 through 15, for the scripture says, everyone, not just Jews, everyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. That's to be vindicated in the day of the Lord on judgment day. To not be put to shame is to be vindicated on judgment day. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. That doesn't mean there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles in general. Just like Paul says there's neither male nor female, but then continues to teach husbands and wives as males and females. It doesn't mean the absolute negation of Jews and Gentiles. It means with respect to responding to, hearing the good news, there's no difference now. And that's what they've got wrong. They've excluded you. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. Wait, do you hear about what calling on his name means and who's allowed to do it? That's going to make a difference for our sharing of the good news. For everyone not just Jews, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you look at this passage, where it comes from, the name you're calling on is Yahweh. But who does it seem they're being told to call on now? Yes, somebody over there said, Jesus, this, you've passed the course already. Yes, you'd almost think there should be a, a Bible verse that says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes, you laugh because that's exegetical humor, because that is a Bible verse, yes? Yes, and that's why Paul in Philippians will say, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, what? That Yeshua is Lord. <gasps> There's an equation between the two. What you see in the one in flesh is the one in the heavens. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord looks like it's Jesus now, will be rescued, delivered. How then will they call on him in whom they have not trusted? Hence the need to share it. And how are they to trust in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone heralding, preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Remember, he is the sent one from the heavens that originally heralded the good news. We're going to see this. And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written where? Anybody know where this is? Isaiah 52, 7. Only it's cut short and we'll see why. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach or herald the good news? Anybody here got some beautiful feet? You didn't expect that. 
That's not too deep, is it? A reading of Romans 10, 16 through 18. But they have not all obeyed the good news. The gospel. The word gospel is euangelion, like eulogy. The eu, E-U, and eulogy means good. Logy means word. Good word. Euangelion is good news. So I prefer good news over gospel so you don't miss this is the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the what? The word, somebody said God, and yet the text says word of Messiah. That's very good. You know why? That's very good, sir. Because the original passage is about the word of God. But he says it's the word of Messiah now. That is profound. And is it the word that Messiah spoke? Or is Messiah himself the good news? Oh, we better get deep here and break this down. You know, at the end of this, you'll notice he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. And then he quotes Psalm 19. For their voice has gone out to the whole earth in their words to the end of the world. What in the world is Paul doing with Psalm 19 here? Listen, his use of Psalm 19 is ingeniously inspired by God's Spirit here because Psalm 19, 1 through 6, speaks about the speechless voice of creation that reveals God. Where did you hear about that in this book? Romans 1. So 19, 1 through 6 of Psalms speaks about how you should be able to look at creation and it should speak the revelation of God to you such that everyone is without, yes, no excuse. But 7 through 14 speaks about God's law and how the revelation of God's law is clear as crystal as you speak it. It should lead you into the revelation of God. It's an added layer from creation. It's that famous passage you know that says something like, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring one's being all the way to, they are more desirable than gold, than more fine gold, all the way to, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That goes back to Paul's point using Deuteronomy. All along, it should have been clear and led you to Messiah. What about this word? You know, the whole passage says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, who announces shalom, Wholeness, completeness, soundness, sufficiency, satisfaction, harmony, and peace. Who brings good news of good things, who announces salvation. The one who announces salvation. Who says to Zion, 
your God reigns. Can you hear the whole passage? Do you understand if we don't know Isaiah 52, 7 in its fullness, we do not know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the good news they're talking about in their accounts. And you know what we need to find out that'll shock us? Who heralded this good news first? Whose feet were lovely first? Guess who it was? I know we think that Yeshua is the good news, but guess what? He also heralded the good news. If you got a Bible, and boy, you should always have a Bible with you, turn to Mark chapter 1. And notice this. Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news. When you're studying this in Greek, we ask the Greek students, does that mean the beginning of the good news that Yeshua brings, that Jesus brings? Or does it mean the beginning of the good news that Jesus himself heralds, announces? And of course, students then fight for a half hour, yes? What if I tell you it's both? And what if I prove to you that first, it's Jesus himself heralding the good news of God. Guess what? You don't need to leave Mark chapter 1 to learn this. Because as you read from 1 and you get to 14, when you get to 14 it says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee doing what? Preaching the good news of God. And then I ask students, what is that? And rather than continue to read the text, they answer from all different places. But the answer is right there. What was the good news of God that Jesus himself was preaching? There it is. Saying, saying what? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has drawn near in a way it cannot undraw near. The kingship of God is nigh. It's been inaugurated. It's coming in its fullness, living it in its foretaste now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news, the news I just said. Isaiah 52, 7, that whole verse is in view, and that's why we just read it. Can you imagine that? That means... The one whose feet were beautiful, who heralded the good news, was Messiah himself, Jesus. And then as you read the rest of the entire Gospels, you find out that he himself is good news. Why? Because he came from heaven, got in flesh, lived that perfect life. Obedience unto death was resurrected, and now you can follow in his footsteps by being in him. Is this good news? Yeah, and it also comes, according to Colossians, with a transfer out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You get a kingdom transfer. Is that part of the good news you're sharing with people? It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's you get a kingdom transfer. And now you can be one of God's covenant partners. That is off the charts good news. Yes? But I ask... 
Did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation that I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. Remember that from last time? Not my people will now be called my people. That's Gentiles. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient. So they're without excuse. He's using the same argument as Romans 1. They're without excuse because of how clear this all was, even from creation and Torah before Yeshua came and heralded the good news. And so now their lack, the major portion of Israel that has not responded, it's now being called not ignorance, but disobedience. What does that mean? That the major theme of Romans 10 for us is heralding, hearing, and responding to the good news of Jesus. The Messiah will lead to people entrusting themselves to Jesus the Messiah, doing what is right in covenant relationship with God and Messiah by the Spirit, and calling on the name of the Lord, which will ultimately lead to the very salvation that Paul is highlighting from Joel chapter 2. Isn't this beautiful? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Do you see everything that's missing? How beautiful are the feet? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet? Where are those mountains? Zion, Jerusalem. It's taken out. And it doesn't say announcing peace or shalom and the rest. Or that the kingship of God is here who says your God reigns. Why? Because Israel has already heard the full Isaiah 52, 7 proclaimed to her by Jesus himself and then the apostles to the Gentile, to the Jews. And then the apostles to the Jews. And guess what? Because of that massive lack of response and only a remnant responding, now the declaration is going to all the nations. So all of that is left out of the verse by Paul. Zeal for God, we said, is a wondrous, desirable thing. Paul's criticizing zeal that's not in line with the new knowledge of the new covenant. The good news of Yeshua the Messiah is God's first century right-doing and covenant relationship with his people on behalf of all the nations. In 320 through 22a, that ties to 10, 2 through 3. This is the only part, hard part of my sermon, I promise. The law's purpose is not ultimately to establish righteousness for Jews alone. Rather, the law's purpose is to provide recognition of sin to the whole world. See the passages in Romans 3, compare them to 7. And therefore, to testify or witness to the righteousness of God. See the passages in Romans 3. Compare the ones in Romans 7. These points of connection. Between Romans 3 and 10. Show that Paul's criticism. Is of the fact. That the Jews have appropriated the law. In a way that leads only to their own righteousness as Jews. Obscuring their light to the nations. And not providing a righteousness for all who believe. And this is one of the favorite images used by Paul to make this clear. In Romans 
uh, 9.30 through 10.4. It's that run the race imagery. This passage, 9.30 through 10.4, is written using one of the Bible's favorite metaphors, the imagery of running the race that's set before us. Paul's emphasis is all about running in a way that pursues the goal of the race, the finish line. In 10.4, he specifically states, Messiah is the goal of Torah, the law, for righteousness to all who believe. However, Paul notes that along the way, the majority of Jews has stumbled over the stumbling stone on the running track and didn't reach the goal, the finish line, Messiah. Paul specifically states, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, a rock of offense that God put there. Romans 9, 32-33, though they didn't fall. Romans eleven eleven. This speaks to a point made in the first sermon about the both and of God's sovereignty and human cooperation. The stone is placed on the track by God and it has to be encountered by those running, by striving in works, in order that the lesson might be learned by all that God's righteousness must always be responded to by faith, leading to righteousness for all runners, Jew and Gentile. This is what Genesis 15, 6 is all about. Then Avram, Abram, trusted the Lord, and the Lord considered his response of trust as proof of genuine loyalty. It was Abraham's initial faith or trust in God and God's doing what is right in covenant relationship that then allowed Abraham to inculcate into his children the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. That's his grandchildren as well. That's us, the children of Abraham as well. Too often faith is understood as mere believing or mental assent. But the word actually first means entrusting yourself to someone in this instance. In complete confidence with the implication of total commitment to the one you are trusting. In the scriptures, God and Messiah are objects of this type of faith. Trust that relies on power and nearness of them to help. In addition to being convinced that what they show us and what they do in being in right covenant relationship with us, that's their righteousness, is trustworthy. Placing one's trust in God and Messiah then leads to our responsive trustworthiness that can be expressed in the words integrity, reliability, fidelity, commitment, allegiance, or even faithfulness. I'm going to slip, skip that slide for time reasons. But you can read it in the slide deck we'll provide for you. 
When it comes to trusting in the previously mentioned power to help, we note that according to Romans 1.16, the good news is the power of God. You ever thought about that? You're not just telling someone about Jesus. You are sharing with them the power of God for their salvation to everyone who trusts to the Jew first and to the Greek. When it comes to trusting in the previously mentioned nearness to help, we note that according to Romans 10.8, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, and that's the word of faith which we are preaching. And this is just to show you that Paul is quoting that verse from Habakkuk. The righteous person is going to live by faithfulness. And Romans 1, 16 and 17, the thesis statement of Romans, shows that the, it's the power of God for sal- salvation. The righteousness of God is revealed from his faithfulness and Messiah's faithfulness to your faith and then faithfulness. Their faithfulness leads to your faithfulness. Are you with me so far? I hear that laughter. For Paul, faith, producing faithfulness, trust, producing trustworthiness, is a comprehensive term that expresses the heart of the gospel, this good news. It begins in the covenant faithfulness of God. It is manifested in Jesus, the Messiah's coming, obedience of faithfulness to death for which he was resurrected by God and leads to a responsive life of faithfulness and obedience on the part of Jews and Gentiles who trust in Messiah. And this again is Paul's point in Deuteronomy which we've actually already covered but I want to make this point in the fact that Paul used Deuteronomy And that is, do we then, this is Romans 3.31, do we then nullify the law through faith? Isn't that an interesting question in 3.31? Do we then, by exercising faith, nullify the law? He answers, may it never be. That's the negating of even the possibility. It's impossible. On the contrary, we establish the law by our faith. A dip back into Romans 3. Yeah. Paul's point here is exactly that in Romans 8.3. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in Messiah Jesus, whom God resurrected. The law is no longer weak because it's no longer appropriated through the flesh, but through the Spirit in following Messiah Jesus as the law enfleshed and we said internalized, ethically concentrated, and intensified for all those who trust. This is simply put in John 1, 16 and 17. We have all received from God's fullness one gracious gift after another. For the law was given as a gracious gift through Moses... And chesed, that is the loyal covenant loving kindness, 
and emet, that is faithfulness, were made real or actual through Jesus Messiah. That's how we should read uh, 1, 16 and 17 of John. So for us, we're back to the major theme, heralding, hearing, and responding to the good news of Jesus the Messiah is going to lead to what? People entrusting themselves to Jesus the Messiah, doing what is right in covenant relationship with God in Messiah by the Spirit, and calling on the name of the Lord, which will ultimately lead to the very salvation or rescue from judgment day of the Lord, judgment in the day of the Lord as described in Joel chapter 2. And so therefore, how beautiful are the feet of those who are going to bring the good news. This is a repeat of 8 through 10, which we're not going to need. And this is a repeat of 11 through 15, which we're not going to need. But we are going to understand what Paul means by calling on the name of the Lord. Who can do that? Why sharing the good news is so important? And what are they being saved from? What is this salvation? Does everyone realize that just like Acts 2 is using Joel 2, Paul is using Joel 2 here? This is the passage Paul is working from about salvation. I only have two of the verses from that passage. 31 and 32 of Joel 2. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. A blood moon is a red moon. Don't go crazy. When? Before the great and terrible or awesome what? Day of the Lord comes. That's day of judgment. He came as a lamb first. He's coming as a lion next. And it will come about in that day of the Lord that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem where there will be those who escape, as the Lord said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So even the context of this was originally restricted to the Jewish people. But now being applied to whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Jew and Gentile. You will be saved. Saved from what? What's in this passage? In Romans 10, Paul is only referring to salvation from judgment on the coming day of the Lord. There is not a spiritual salvation. It's a rescue and a deliverance from judgment on the day of the Lord. In the Bible, salvation only ever refers to a rescue, a deliverance, a preser preservation from a physical harm, whether present or future. That's probably new to our hearing, but boy, do you need to spend some time in Joel 2 to see what Paul is actually teaching. Because all I care about is hearing Paul on his own terms to the extent humanly possible, not how we have misheard it in history. We're almost there. Calling on the name of the Lord. 
in the Bible is only allowed by those in covenant relationship with God. While calling on the name of the Lord can appear in text of worship, the vast majority of the time it appears in context where urgent rescue is needed. You know, you don't need an illustration here, do you? If the building was on fire and somebody cried, Help me! Would you understand that cry? Yes. So it's almost always in context of physical rescue from a crisis. And the rescue and the crisis here is judgment on the great and terrifying day of the Lord in Joel 2. So heralding, hearing, and responding to the good news of Jesus Messiah will lead to people entrusting themselves to Jesus Messiah based on all that he's done for them. It will lead to doing what is right in covenant relationship with God, in Messiah, by the Spirit. It will put them into the new covenant which now allows them to cry out to God for a rescue, a deliverance, a salvation. From what? Judgment in the coming day of the Lord as described in Joel 2. So now, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you understand what we're doing when we share the good news of Jesus with someone? You're ushering them into the new covenant. You're allowing them to call on the name of the Lord. You're allowing them to put their trust in all that Yeshua did. You're allowing them to live as God's covenant partner. And in their living and crying out, now that they're in the new covenant, you saw to it that they got the salvation, the rescue, the preservation from judgment on the coming great and terrible day of the Lord. How important is evangelism to us now? And then this passage closes in 19 through 21 by saying, but I asked, did Israel not understand? And then he's going to say, of course they did. He's going to do the without excuse argument for Israel. Because they've already heard. But he says here, first Moses said, I will make you jealous. And that's the closing point of this sermon. You don't just share the good news with people to get them in the new covenant so they get rescued when the day of the Lord comes from judgment. In the meantime, in the time of the Gentiles, every Gentile who hears the good news and responds and lives accordingly like what's in 12 through 15 of Romans serves to make the Jews who have not responded jealous that we have appropriated the very good news that Jesus himself heralded to them. We become the catalyst so that all Israel will be saved, which is covered in the next sermon in Romans chapter 11. Amen? Then let's pray. So God, 
We thank you that we are among those that heard the good news. Thank you for all that Yeshua has done in coming. You sent him. He lived that obedient life. He was obedient unto death and crucifixion at that. And then you raised him from the dead. And we heard this good news. And we, by your mercy, responded to this good news. And now we call on your name. And now we trust that we're going to be rescued in the day of judgment. Open our lips that we will not only declare your praise, but that we'll share this good news with all those around us. And in the process, we ask in our lifetime, make many Jewish persons jealous of this and bring them into the covenant you originally made with them. And this we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen.